You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Welcome to Field Church. This is your pastor, Sam, and I'm so honored and humbled once again to be with you. I miss you. I love you. We are praying for you. And I hope that your time at home with your family or with your roommates and just with the Lord has been fruitful. We're praying for you to stay well. We are praying for you as long as you are home, that God would continue to protect you and to grow you. We're also praying for the medical professionals, as I know that you are as well. We're praying for the sick and we're praying for the world. May the world experience during this time the love of Christ. And may the word, as Colossians 3 tells us, dwell in us richly, that it would sustain us through this time. And may the world learn to depend on Christ during this difficult season. Foundationally, we depend on God through the knowledge of him that is found in his word. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter eight, more specifically, verses 40 through 56, Luke eight, verses 40 through 56. You can get yourself ready there as we prepare to follow along in the verses that we have been studying. As we simply expose the passage, we expose the text. By the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we're going to seek to expose the background, the intention, the content of this passage while viewing it in light of God's greater story, his big story, the gospel message that we have seen unfold from the beginning of time and will continue to unfold into eternity as man is with God. And I seek today, and and I hope that you do as well, to apply this text rightly and specifically to our lives that God would grow us as God gets the glory for us being invited into his great story and being changed by his great gospel. So we're continuing on in this expedition through the book of Luke. And today we find ourselves in the second to last message of chapter eight. As we finish chapter eight in this week and next week, we will then move into chapter nine. And to just be vulnerable and to give you some insight. As I was writing and as I was meditating upon this scripture over the past week and even over the days of of my writing the past few days, I was convinced that the Lord was leading us to look at a few specific things from even last week's passage that I believe he wants to um, reignite night in our hearts and continue to drive deep into our souls, that we would learn, meditate upon and grow and that we would not um, see what happened last week uh, 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 dwell in, in our hearts for a short amount of time, but for a long period that it would change us. And so we're going to look even while we recap briefly last week at a few specifics that we notice at the end of the passage as Jesus heals 
the woman. But also God convicted me as I was writing. I, I knew that he was telling me to stop at a certain point, at a certain place in the passage. And uh, even in light of my little faith, because I want to continue moving on in the book of Luke, and I'm excited about chapter nine, um, God made it even clear through Pastor Taylor how fitting for God to move in that way and to speak and to stop us, that we would stop today at verses 49 and 50 and finish next week in verses 51 through 56. What this does is lead us to the story of the resurrection of the little girl, which points us to Jesus's great power over death, ultimately his resurrection over death that brings about our resurrection into eternal life. And just like we have seen as we started this passage on disease and death, just as the virus around the world had hit and become very relevant to our lives, so too again today, I see God's great hand and his sovereignty, his hand on our church, him leading us, that he would be so great that as we teach through books of the Bible, that he would bring us to the story of the resurrecting of this little girl, which ultimately is meant to point to the resurrection power that Jesus has over death for all of eternity. What a great God as he guides us, he guides our church. Be confident, he's with us, he is guiding us, he is hearing us and we are hearing from him and I pray that you are as well. But as we look at the scriptures, he's guiding our church in faithfulness. How great to know that God is with us. So we will look at the resurrection of this little girl and pick up with that story next week on Easter Sunday. I pray that you join us because it will show Jesus his great power to resurrect us into eternal life. And so what a great journey this has been through the book of Luke. And as we've witnessed Luke's testimony to Jesus being the son of God displayed by his power over evil. If you haven't been on this journey with us, I want to encourage you to, to go back and to watch the previous two messages and even better listen to the two before that to give you proper insight into Luke's intentions of this passage. But to to summarize, Luke has been showing us Jesus's great power over the curse, over Satan and his demons, over the effects of sin, namely disease. And in the verses before us today, he begins to display Jesus's power over death. Now, remember, the aim here is to give us a testimony. Luke's aim is to give the reader a testimony to Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has come to save us, the Son of God. And this is what also today Palm Sunday is about. You see, as we shepherd you through this in so many different ways, we celebrate the remembrance of Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem which at many points and with many people, they would hail him as king of the Jews. But even sadly, we see that at the very end of his life, he is denied and rejected by many. And they denied him due to the fact that they did not believe his testimony, that he was the Messiah. And in their belief, had Jesus crucified. And so we see even on Palm Sunday how important it is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's displayed, through, uh, displayed this through testimony after testimony. And when we see this great testimony, we should believe in his Messiahship and we should not turn into unbelief as the Jews did during the time of the crucifixion. 
but that we would hang on to this testimony, hang on to Luke's words, be convinced this is a big deal, that we would conclude that Jesus is the Messiah due to the witness that we have of his great power over evil, and that we would conclude that this is he, this is the Messiah, this is the anointed one, that we would believe and be saved. As we look at this picture, remember, this is holy God, the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament, the one who can deliver us from the punishment of our sin. And I pray that as we look at this text, that the display of Jesus's power over evil would bring you comfort and peace and healing and bring you into savoring of the divine compassion that Jesus has. More than anything, that it brings you into a place of belief, into belief that he is the son of God and that he can forgive you of all your sin because he has power over every evil and that you would learn to trust in Jesus, to believe in him through the testimony and the witness of his word, that you would allow him to make you a new creation, that you would see the, the evil in your life go and the, and the new life that he brings, eternal life come and through salvation that he can only provide because of his great power that you would be saved. And so church, as we dive into this today, let this power display be a comforter for you. If you have believed in Christ, you have his power behind you and in you. And those of you who have maybe not yet believed in Christ, that you would look at this testimony and be confirmed in your spirit and in your heart based upon truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that you would be saved. Let's pray and let's ask God for this to be so. Father, we come before you today and I pray that as we look at your word, as we dive into two verses today, that we would be convinced that death is real, that um, this causes desperation and that yet you, Jesus, make a promise of resurrection. God, let this point us to the fact that you have the power to make that promise. You have the great power to make the promise for the resurrection of the dead, that we would be resurrected from our earthly bodies into eternal life if we trust in you, that you, Jesus, made this possible through your own resurrection because by your power, you defeated death and overcame it. And you conquered all evil by resurrecting from the dead. Death has no more power. Death has no more sting because of your divine power over it. For you yourself, the perfect holy God, are untouched by evil and you then free us from every evil. Let us see this great testimony. You are the only one who, as we believe, can make a promise to us, just as you make a promise to this little girl, to this family, to this father, that you make a promise that her, his daughter will be well, that you make us a promise that at the end of our lives, we will be resurrected because you have the power to do so through the gospel. God, I pray that we would see this great power displayed in Jesus as the only one who can resurrect us from the dead and that we would believe in you as the Messiah and be changed. God, I pray that, that you would help us today to trust in you and even in the face of death that is ever before us, in the face of this virus, that Jesus, we would trust that although, although we see the, the sting of death here on earth, Jesus, we would be comforted by your great power over it. 
that we would know that we are are part of a family of of the one and true God who can change and, and resurrect and defeat all evil. And God, we pray that it would be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And then we'll talk through today, verses 49 and 50. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came the man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had, only, uh, he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had ha- had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What an incredible story. What a powerful passage the testimony, the witness of Jesus as the one Messiah. He indeed is the Messiah, authenticated to us by the display of his divine power over evil. In this last section, the specific display is over disease and death. Thus far in verses 40 through 43, we've seen the desperation that's been caused by disease and death the desperation caused by the reality of disease and death. This was our introduction into the section. And the point here is that we are powerless. We're powerless over disease. We're powerless over death due to the effects of sin, which began at the fall of man in Genesis chapter three. And therefore we need deliverance from the only one who possesses this power over all evils. And this reality rightly causes desperation. For God, through Christ, to deliver us, not only for, from these evils that are temporary, but from eternal death, eternal hell, punishment for our sin. And only Jesus has the power to save us. 
He has the power to usher in his kingdom. And therefore, we must be desperate for him. The larger truth was displayed through the introduction of these two characters as we followed along in this passage. This great truth of the desperation caused by the reality of sin and, and death and, and disease it is displayed to us through the introduction of two characters. And they have rightly placed desperation. Due to the reality of disease and death, one character, his name is, a, is Jairus. He's a religious leader and he displays a great desperation because his daughter, his only daughter, his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And whatever his high position is here on earth, as much as he is respected by many people around him, as great of a position as he holds, he is powerless to the power of death. That's what we see. And therefore, he is rightly placing his trust in the only one who can deliver from death, Jesus, the Messiah. He is desperate and that is right for him to be so. And the second character that we see that we're introduced to is a woman. She's been suffering for 12 years at the hand of disease. She's incurable. She's ceremoniously unclean. And she's a social outcast due to her disease. And though from the other side of the social and religious spectrum of this man, one, this man, he is religiously um, important. He is socially important. And she is on the other side of the spectrum. But yet, she is the same. She is human. She is powerless over disease and over death. And therefore, she too is rightly desperate for Christ. And for both of them, although presently faced with disease and death, are foundationally powerless over the ultimate effects of sin and the ultimate consequences of sin, which is eternal death. And so we find ourselves, listen, in the same position, the reality of sin and death and our powerlessness over them. It's fitting for us, especially in the face of a global virus that makes this reality of us being powerless all the more vivid. We should rightly be desperate for the son of God ourselves. We should not live like we're going to live forever. We should not hold stock in our high positions or our wealth. This life will end. We are the ones who must become desperate because Jesus, the son of God, is the one and he is the one alone who possesses the power over disease and death. We should embrace our desperation and let it drive us to Christ. The true reality is even before this virus hit, even after this virus is gone, the threat of disease and death and the effects of sin were always and will always be present. We may just have ignored the reality. And what a grace from God that this virus is reminding us that although it is a natural evil and consequence of sin, as the grace of God, it is pointing us to a reality check to know very well that we will not live forever, that disease and death strike, and that Jesus is the only one who has the power, that we would not live like we're going to live forever, 
but that we would contemplate eternity and that we would pursue Christ. And you know, this was my story. When my mom died at 19, when I was 19 years old, I realized that this life could be over at any moment. And that was the main reality that I learned from that time and that I needed to live for eternity. This is what Jesus refers to in Matthew in Mark 8, 34 through 36. And this is what I uh, read and changed me as I encountered the reality of my mom's death. It says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would lose, uh, whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Because ultimately we need Christ for all of eternity. And that's what we should understand and become desperate for. He has the power over evil through his deity, through his perfect life, through his death and through his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And he has the power to resurrect us from eternal, for eternal life. So we've witnessed the desperation caused by disease and death. Secondly, what we've seen is the first of two testimonies in this section of the healing. We see Jesus's divine power over disease and death. And we saw firstly, the woman who was cured and healed by Jesus's great power over disease. The point here is this, that Jesus is not like us. He's the Messiah. He's exactly who he needs to be, evidenced by the display of his power, and therefore he alone can save. So in verses 44 through 48, Jesus displays his divine power in healing the diseased woman. He heals this diseased woman. We saw the desperation. And now we see his great divine power by healing this woman. He heals an incurable woman instantly. In an instant, he heals a, a, a disease-stricken woman. And this must prove, must only prove that he is God. He restores her socially. He restores her religiously, if you will. He restores her eternally through salvation. And after this, the display of his divine power, we see that he causes some things to happen in the woman. And so this is where I believe that the Lord is convicting me to just to, for us to sit with just a little bit longer this week, even though we, we looked at it last week. And so when we see Jesus display his divine power over this woman's disease, he does a few things and it causes the woman to understand a few things. The display of Jesus's divine power causes certain effects to happen in this woman's life. What we see is that as he displays this, as he shows his divine power over evil, over disease, over death, it causes things to happen in this woman's life. What did we see happen to this woman as Jesus displayed this? Well, first, what we see is that it caused worship and belief. It caused worship and belief when Jesus displayed this divine power showing he was the son of God. Listen, here's what it did. She realized through the testimony of Jesus's power that he is God that she is sinful woman in the presence of holy God. She comes trembling. This must be God, she is saying, because of God knowing that she could only try her best to fix this issue, but that God could fix it permanently and instantly. And Jesus displays this power of God. She realizes that this must be God. Only God could do what Jesus just did. She bows in a heart of worship. 
She surrenders in belief. Just like on the boat, after Jesus displays the power over nature, the disciples trembled because of their conclusion about who Jesus is and who he must be. If the winds and the waves obey him, so this woman comes and trembles and bows down and comes to the conclusion of who Jesus must be because of what he just did. Or just like on the shore of the Gerasene region, when the man who is finally brought into his right mind after thousands Thousands of demons have been cast from him. And he sees that the herdsmen, they witness it and the crowds come running. There, this man comes trembling. The, the, the people come trembling because of their conclusion about who Jesus must be if, if the demons obey who he is and what he says. For this healed man comes and he bows and he sits in worship and belief. And here's the exact same response as the disciples on the boat and the man who's been healed on the shore. He's God. Jesus must be God, evidenced by the testimony of this power. And church, this leads us to a place that we should say, and we too should believe. We too should worship. We too should tremble at the testimony of Jesus's divine power that the Bible gives us. So we see that the display of his divine power as the Messiah causes belief and worship. That should happen to us as we look at this testimony. Secondly, it causes evangelism. We see that it causes evangelism because in this story, the recap, remember the woman after she comes trembling and Jesus calls her forward because she has been healed. She doesn't just keep this to herself. She comes forward and she, she shares, she tells, she declares, it says, in the presence of all what had happened and how Jesus had instantly healed her. Just like the prophet Jeremiah says, in, verses, uh, in chapter 20, in verse 9, it says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were burning like a fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. So this woman, too, falls to her knees, and she speaks the truth of who Jesus is. Or like Peter, he says similarly in Acts, in the book of Acts, in chapter four, verse 20, for we cannot speak of what we have seen. We cannot but speak but what we have, of what we have seen and heard. Listen, this woman has seen it. She's experienced it. She's heard it. And now others must hear it too. The explicit gospel message, the good news of Christ as the son of God who pays the price for sin this is what we as believers should do when we see the power of God and see the testimony of Christ's Messiahship. Just like you share and you're excited about anything you love, fitness, a new restaurant, a new relationship, we are wired for the fact that our satisfaction is not complete until it is shared and experienced by others. So we share what we love. And this couldn't be more true than in this story. This woman comes trembling. She's in worship. Her heart is in worship because she believes. And then she begins to right away share with the people around her. This is what happens to believers. Believers share about the one in whom they have believed has the power to save. Listen, after you have believed 
the power of Christ and who he is as the Messiah. It should cause you to share his word. After you've experienced his saving power, after you've been forgiven by your sin, for your sin, after you've experienced the all-satisfying love of Christ, after you're awesomely transformed by the word of God, you must say too, just like this woman, have you seen this? Did you see it? I got to tell you, this is what happened. Don't you know this? Didn't you believe this? Here's what I experienced with every run, everyone around us. Just like the demon-possessed man goes and tells his people about Jesus, so we should too, just like this lady does. Go and share what had just happened. Give witness to the power of Christ displaying that he's the Messiah. Listen, this woman goes from being estranged from God and society to being an evangelist of God to her society. And so we see that this woman seeing the power of Christ, believing in who he is because of that display. She believes, she worships, she shares, evangelizes. And lastly, the display of Jesus's divine power brings one more aspect to her life, which is comfort. Now, this comfort is extensive. It's a broad sweep because here's what happens. Jesus then calls her daughter as one who is now in his family. She's saved. He says this, your faith has literally saved you. It has made you whole or saved you. Jesus uses the same word with the prostitute woman, right? Remember that story? And so in that story, there's no physical healing at all that takes place. And Jesus uses this same words. Therefore, he is not referring to the healing here, that you have been made well. He's not referring to the physical healing. He's been referring to the salvation. She has been saved. So Jesus calls her daughter and has saved her. She has been comforted by God. She is redeemed. Her whole person is redeemed. She is comforted by being integrated back into society. Jesus tells her that she has uh, been healed of all of her sin. Her soul has been saved and he has used his great power and compassion towards her. So she's experienced this comfort. She's experienced this restoration. She's experienced Jesus's great love and peace. He's brought her forward. He has shown his great compassion through his power. And he's also used his great power to heal her. So Jesus tells her to go in peace or literally to go and be comforted. Or Matthew says, go and, and take heart or be of good courage. And so understanding who Jesus is as evidenced by his power isn't just knowledge. Listen, it's not just knowledge like, oh, oh yeah, I know he's got power now. Isn't that wonderful? I'll keep that in mind and I understand this. And yet it's still irrelevant to my life. Maybe I can just wish upon a star and Jesus will hear me. But that's not true. This is not irrelevant. It should bring the same result in your life. It should make you worshipful and full of belief in Christ. It should make you an evangelist as you see the display of his power and believe he's the Messiah. And it should bring comfort into your life. It should bring comfort and compassion and healing and peace and courage and cause you to take heart. It should bring you comfort. Why comfort? Because Jesus loves you through his display of his death and his resurrection. As he saves your soul, he is with you and in you and will be with you for all of eternity. You should take comfort in the one that has all the power over evil 
is on your side. You should take comfort in the fact that he displays his power in great compassion. He displays his power in your life as a compassionate shepherd by doing great work gently as he calls you to himself. You should take great comfort in the fact that he brings about healing, maybe from sickness and disease, but ultimately from the sin that has destroyed our lives. He brings about healing and transformation. He brings about peace, peace with him and peace in our own hearts. And he brings about courage. This is the result. He comforts us by displaying his power. And so I I wanted to take some time for us to see and to understand how this power has its effect. It makes us people who believe in worship. It makes us people who evangelize and it should make us people who are comforted as we see the display of his power. You see how this whole progression works? Listen to this story, right? How applicable for what we're experiencing. This is what we're seeing right now. The picture is we have seen the reality of disease and death. It causes us to be desperate. It causes us to look to Christ, the only one who has the power to deliver us from sin. And then as we experience his saving power, it causes us to worship. It causes us to share our faith. It brings about comfort in our lives, peace with God. It sanctifies our souls and transforms us and heals us from the disease of sin. And we experience God's great compassion. This is the progression that we've seen in this passage. And this is the progression that should happen in our lives. What a fitting time for us to see how this progression works, this pattern, and that God would bring us into the same same display. And so as we see this, the last portion of the text that we see, and we're going to cover this part. And then next, uh, next week we'll cover verses uh, 51 through 56. The last display that we see once, once more is this now power over death explicitly. Again, Jesus proving that he is the Messiah and his divine power over death by raising to life a girl who is dying. And at one point as Jesus arrives is not dying anymore. She dies. We're going to see this testimony of the dying daughter. So Jesus raising to life this dying daughter of Jairus. Let's see the beginning portion of this. In verse 49, Jesus begins to display this power by raising her from the dead. And remember, Jesus is here making her alive. In fact, the real reason why Jesus came to earth, one of the main reasons, we see a lot of reasons listed in the scriptures, but one in Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 through five says this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil, the deliverer of those um, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So what we see here is that Jesus has come to defeat this power of death and he is displaying it here. Jesus takes the sting out of death. As Paul says, death no longer becomes our greatest fear or foe. It actually for the believer becomes our greatest friend. We embrace it as gain because we get to be with Christ. All humanity, All human race for all of history has had death as its greatest enemy. Satan has brought 
death to all of mankind through the temptation. And Jesus has given us eternal life. Now, as the ultimate proof that he is God, he is showing that he's able to do this. So he's displaying his power over death. Just as he's displayed his messiahship in chapter seven of this same book, when John the Baptist asked, hey, should we wait for another person? Are you really the messiah? And he gives proof that he is because he has raised people from the dead. So Jesus too here is showing us his display over death. Let's start in verse 49. Follow along the whole time in the text with me. Let's read it. Here's what he says. In ver- here's what Luke says in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. What a great little verse for us because that has so much packed into it. What hap- what's happening here is that, remember, Jesus is in Capernaum. Capernaum. And this is on the north tip of the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, is no longer there as they have failed to receive Jesus as the Messiah being the main reason. They were thrown into judgment. And so verse 49 starts with, as he, Jesus, is still speaking. So Jesus was interrupted. Remember this. On the way to Jairus' house, right? On the way to Jairus' house by the diseased and now healed woman. He was not in a hurry. He was not rushed. He was not frantic. He stopped with the woman. He was present. He cared for the needs around him. As he was going, he was on his way to complete this task for Jairus. He cared for this woman and he stopped with her. Remember this? He was on his way to show and display his power over this diseased daughter who was even about to die on her very deathbed. And on his way, he displays this power over over disease. He wasn't anxious for the task at hand, even as he went to the cross and had his own death and resurrection in view. He wasn't anxious. Uh, Along the way, he cared for people. He encountered people. For three years, he healed people. And so just here on his way to bring about resurrection from the dead, he is stopping and he is caring for the people and the needs around him. Just again, as he he does, as he looks towards his own death and his own resurrection, he cares for the needs along the way in the journey of the three years leading up to it. And so now, as he is doing this, we see him interrupted again. And yet now again, this is by the situation with Jairus. And so what, is, what we're seeing here is that these needs have never stopped. They come from all kinds of people everywhere at every moment for Jesus. Yet, listen, he's the son of God. And so he's not overwhelmed and he's not late to make it to Jairus's house. The desperation of people is ever present and seemingly urgent one after another. And yet he's able to handle them. He's in the middle of his sentence and he's interrupted. This is the kind of ability that Jesus has. He's the kind of a power to bring about such healing to every one who has need. And this should bring us comfort. He is divine power. The one who is able to take care of all the needs around the world at the same time His divine power and
and compassion, combined with his omnipresence, his ability to take care of people everywhere. This is him acting unhindered. Verse 49, Mark and Luke say that he was, he was in the middle of speaking. And so what we can see is what he was speaking about was telling the, the healed woman to take comfort. And mid-sentence, someone from the ruler of Jairus' house comes and said, says to Jairus, now, by the way, um, one of the hardest things for me as one who has a house full of three kids and a dog, which by the way, I'm not grouping kids and canines um, together. Well, okay, never mind. Is having them request things simultaneously. I don't know what to focus on. I can't think straight. My head spins like words and Barks begin to mend together. They're blended, they're, they're intermingled. And I can't even think about how to address one need. And yet Jesus, he's not phased here. This whole picture is a picture and display of his divine power. He's not phased, he's different, he's holy. His ability to care and to be present and to provide and he's on his way. And while he's on his way, he's healing those who are in his path and he's acting and he's not stressed, he's not flustered. He is able to provide, he's God. He has the power to do whatever he chooses to do. Jesus's power is on display in every part of this passage. He's never unsure. He's never weary. He's never overwhelmed. He's never in his own head. He's never in over his head and he's never impotent. Verse 49, this messenger comes to Jairus and he says, as Jesus is in the middle of his sentence, he tells Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And here, Jairus faces what he had hoped that he would never face. He hears the words that he hoped he would never hear. Is there any more reason for hope? Jairus was trying to prevent this from happening. That's why he came to Jesus. And yet now the news that he was hoping not to hear has just come to his ears. Is there any more reason for him to plead with Jesus? Is there any more reason to ask anymore? Is there any more reason to ask Jesus to intervene? What Jairus at this point had so longed to prevent has happened. Verse 49, it tells us, it just told us, while Jesus was still speaking, speaking comfort to this woman, someone from the ruler of, uh, someone from Jairus's house, the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's happened. What he so longed to prevented, prevent has happened. Jairus, if you remember, he'd been waiting on the shore of Capernaum. He was anxious, so anxious that he waited there, I'm sure for a very long time. Jesus stopped for the lady even on the way to Jairus's house, undoubtedly causing Jairus to grow even more anxious. And now the news has come. She's dead, buddy. And I'm sorry, Jesus didn't act in time. And yet we see that this verse gives a small snapshot into a much larger picture of who Jesus really is. 
because Jairus actually has no hesitation. He believes in the power of Jesus as the son of God. Luke doesn't record Jairus's response. We don't see it here. We only see the messenger's response and then Jesus's response. And yet Matthew does record Jairus's response. Look at this. Jairus says in Matthew 9, 18, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jairus never doubts because in the face and the reality of disease and death, Jairus believes in Jesus as the Messiah. He knows the Old Testament. He is a Jew. He undoubtedly knows the truth of what the Messiah is and will and is capable of doing, that he is God, that he is the power over death. He didn't think it was over, even if the messenger did. He did not underestimate the extent of Jesus's divine power. He is not, Jesus is not just some miracle working leader who has power up to a certain point and it's confined by timing and it's confined by situations and it's confined by proximity. Are you ready? It's not confined by any evil at all. That's the whole point here. It's not confined by anything. The prophet Isaiah speaks of the Lord and says that although even evil and sin abound in this chapter, chapter 59 of Isaiah, even though evil and sin abound, uh, in, in Isaiah it tells us that the Lord's hand is not shortened. Um, of Isaiah 59.1, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. He has the power, though sin abounds. He is the one who is able to forgive, to transform, to cause us to be delivered from all sin for all of eternity. So Jairus didn't lose faith yet. He didn't use, lose faith and he doesn't. What we see here is this perfect display of this testimony because his messenger says, don't trouble the teacher anymore. And that's a way of saying this has now gotten to a place that is too far. I know we hoped that Jesus would be able to bring about healing, but this has crossed the invisible threshold for Jesus's compassionate power cannot reach into this territory. It has now gone one step beyond his power. And he, in some limited way, has no power over this evil, which is death. And yet, Luke's point here is to show us the exact opposite. This testimony shows us that Jesus's threshold of his power doesn't exist. That's the whole point of this, that his power extends beyond the curse. His power extends beyond demons and Satan. His power extends beyond death and disease. His power is able to cause us to resurrect into eternal life and have fellowship with God. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful and therefore he must be God. The messenger apparently had no idea that Jesus's power could extend beyond death. 
And yet Jairus, who was a Jew, and he knew the promises and the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, therefore he knew the reality of death did not make Jesus impotent. And it did not cause doubt in this man. And so the woman's interruption did not thwart Jesus's plan to heal Jairus's daughter. In fact, this whole thing was a setup, a divine delay to display the clear power of Jesus showing to be the Messiah. And so Jesus, verse 50, as we've talked about so far, that while he was still speaking, he was interrupted, and yet he wasn't frantic. And the ruler, uh, the messenger of the ruler's house comes and delivers this news. And we see again that the daughter is dead. Um, she is declared dead. And the messenger does not understand that Jesus's power extends beyond death. She says, the messenger says, don't trouble the teacher anymore. And yet verse 50, upon hearing this, Jesus answered, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Verse 50, it starts with great words. Even though this message has come, it starts with, but Jesus, but Jesus, how sweet those words are, huh? It displays to us that contrary to everything we might experience, God's power, his compassion extends beyond because he's God. Romans 5 verses 7 through 8 remind me of this phrase here, but God. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God, even though we are full of sin, and even though we don't deserve to be died for, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His power and his love and his saving compassion extend beyond the power of sin and death. Or what about Romans 6, 23, when it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that's just like saying, but God, he gives us eternal life for free in his son, Christ. What we see is that this power of Jesus extends beyond death. And although this message has come, Jesus, upon hearing these words, says something contrary to what you would expect. He says, do not fear. Upon hearing these words, he says, he answers and says, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Literally what he's saying here is stop being anxious or fearful. You see, Jesus here is not actually giving testimony to the power of their belief. Although Jairus maintained his belief, he's actually giving evidence here that even Jairus's faith was uh, mixed, was intermixed, was, had traces of fear and worry and unbelief, which is totally understandable. But Jesus is God and he's not afraid and he's not powerless. So he says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we can even combine Mark's account here. As you know, Matthew and Mark give the same story because what Mark records is keep on believing. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Keep on believing. What great words. We can combine these testimonies here as Jesus uh, aims us to, to, helps us to supplement these texts. That's why all these testimonies are given. And so what we can see is this command here to not be anxious, to not be afraid. 
and to keep on believing, just as Jairus believed at a point. And yet there was some circumstances that happened. that His daughter actually died. Jairus is told by Jesus, hey, what you knew about me, what you trusted me for, what you sought me for, and even with, even in light of these circumstances that have come before you, even as powerful as they seem, keep on believing. Keep on believing what you know to be true about me. You see, she's going to be saved, literally to be brought back. Jesus is saying she will be brought back physically. Now, what we understand is that this is great testimony for us because it says, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe she will be made well. Literally a picture of being brought back physically. This is very different from what he told the woman when he says, your faith has made you well, that she had been made well spiritually for all of eternity. Here, he's talking about a physical resurrection. And later on, we will see that she probably had a spiritual resurrection as well. But as Jesus says, do not be afraid, the the Old Testament helps us to understand this is a pronouncement by Jesus to be God. Why? Well, in Isaiah, one example is that as God speaks to his people and tells them not to be afraid, the confidence that they would have to not be afraid is found in his presence. You see Isaiah 41.10, here's a good example. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see the grounds for which God's people do not have to be afraid comes not from the command of not to be afraid. It comes from what happens after the word for in that verse. Here's the grounds. Here's the reason that you do not have to be afraid. It is not because I've simply commanded and you by your own strength will learn how to not be afraid. It is because here is the grounds. I am with you. The focus of the do not be afraid verses is always on for I am with you. Meditate on that part and the fear not verse will cause you not to be afraid, not as you meditate upon the effort of not being afraid, but as you meditate upon the words that I am with you coming from God himself. And as you believe it, then you consequently will not be afraid. Without that promise, we should be afraid. But Jesus tells us not to be because he is with us. Jesus is saying the same thing here to this Man, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Why? Because she will be made well. And he in that is declaring that he will make her well. He is here. He is present. He has the power. He is God. Therefore, no one needs to be afraid, even in light of death. So here, Jesus is pronouncing to be God. Because he holds divine power, they should not be afraid. This is not a cause and effect thing. He's not saying, do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well because her being made well is dependent upon Jairus's right belief. He's not saying if you believe enough, she will be brought back. Because he heals even some people in scripture without a significant display of belief by the people. 
but sometimes he desires to channel that or evidence that power through the faith of his people and so requires it and yet also calls people into belief. So Jesus is simply saying, I am going to do this. Stop worrying. And he's requiring Jairus to have faith in light of his promise that he is God. He overhears the words and immediately tells him, stop worrying, only believe. And if we can press into Luke's word, this Greek word here of what Luke says when he says only believe, we'd press in and find, he's saying, make an act of faith. Put your trust in me. Again, Mark's account saying, keep on believing. And we put those all together. And what Jesus is saying is, you came to me as the one who had power over death. And don't let this new information deter you. Keep on believing. This is sweet words from the Savior. And Jesus has made it clear to this ruler of the synagogue that in the face of disease and death and disaster, that he has this divine power and that she will be made well and she will be healed physically, pointing to her resurrection. Now at this point, as we stop here and as we prepare to pick up next week and see the display of the resurrection, Jesus here is pointing to a physical resurrection for this woman, for this little girl, but he's not doing so just to show a momentary physical healing for this little girl. Jesus here is displaying his ultimate power to resurrect his people who believe in him as the Messiah over death, out of death, into eternal life. Jesus promises the resurrection of this little girl. And just like us, he, for us, he promises our resurrection as we believe, just like he's requiring Jairus to do. You see his power to physically resurrect this girl is displaying his power over death to resurrect himself and to resurrect us for all of eternity. This is pointing us to a much larger truth. It's tying this whole section together that he has power for his own resurrection from the dead that will ultimately defeat evil. And he has power for our resurrection from the dead because he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. This is what he has power to do. And how fitting that on Easter Sunday, we will look at his power to resurrect this girl, which is a microcosm to his power to resurrect himself, which will happen and resurrect us. If he doesn't have power over death for this girl, then our faith is without grounds. We must see his display of this power over death to be convinced that he can save us. So this points us to the power of his own resurrection and our resurrection. And this is all resting upon his divine power over death as the Messiah. And so church, as you look at this passage and as you are comforted by his divine power, and as you look forward to the resurrection, I pray a few things. One, that you would believe. I pray that you would believe in Jesus as he displays this untainted power through the ability to care for this daughter and care for people along the way. He's not flustered. 
He's got the power to save, even resurrect from the dead. I pray that you would believe that you would be saved and that even in your belief, Jesus would help your unbelief. Maybe even like Jairus, you have faith and yet there is a mixture of fear and anxiety along with it. I pray that Jesus would cause you to believe through this display of his power. I also pray that as you look at this divine display, that you would find great comfort in the power for him to resurrect. Maybe death has become a great fear for you. Maybe it's paralyzing even. And yet this display of divine power gives you confidence and comfort that he has resurrected himself from the dead and he can resurrect you. Let that be a a great comfort to you, church, as you look at his divine display of, of his power. This resurrection we will have to go and be with him for all of eternity. And yet we do not have to fear even our greatest foe, death, because he can resurrect us. So let it cause you to believe and let it bring you great comfort. Next week, as we see this great power to resurrect, we will surely be full of praise of Jesus's power over death. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we're so grateful for your great testimony and witness to us. Thank you for how you share with us and how you show us this great witness and testimony of Jesus, your divine power, so that we, be, we can be convinced that you will resurrect us from the dead. Help us to see next week as we see this display of great power. Help us to see your great um, plan and promise to resurrect us from the dead as you have displayed this great promise to this girl and to her father. I pray God with all of my heart that those who are watching and do not believe would do so, would believe even for the first time because of your great divine display of power as the Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.